Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Father in heaven, we acknowledge you as our good shepherd. Would you give us eyes to see your kingdom, to know that because of your care that we have everything that we need. Yes, it's in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would remain standing in honor of reading God's word. We're in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which is five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming down, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well picked up his mat, and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who was healed did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you are well, do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Several weeks ago, I got a blood test back that uh, was, was concerning to my doctors, and it was uh, called the VIP blood test, and that does not mean that I'm a very important person and my blood shows it. Uh, it is a specific type of test that was significant over a year ago now, and ultimately discovered the cause of all of the physical issues that I would have, which uh, was neuroendocrine cancer. And so because that test in particular had revealed that cause, when I got word that it was elevated in my blood, uh, it, was, it was concerning. It was concerning to my doctors. It was concerning to myself and uh, my family. So last week, I had a, a particular type of PET scan and... When they discovered it the first time, that PET scan was what 
revealed it. And so it was uh, incredibly relieving last week to hear that after they had done the scan, that, that there was nothing, it was, it was clear and they were not concerned. Uh, and so I was very thankful for that. And uh, the reason why that number's elevated, they didn't quite know. They did another test and, and you know, they'll, they'll continue to do that. But, but incredibly thankful and incredibly relieved after that. And when I think about the last couple weeks, I would describe them kind of on this side of all that as restless. Uh, I would say that I was restless and um, there was a, a way in which I would think about things and uh, just consider different elements of life and, and would feel restless. And maybe you are in a season right now where that would define kind of how you feel. Maybe there's something going on that you feel restless about, or there's something that you very much feel your inability to control. And that may be physical, it may be relational, emotional, whatever that is, but, but you feel that, that restlessness. And as I was considering why I felt that way and kind of what that revealed, I really believe that at the core, I, I was not completely and fully trusting in God. Now, if you'll allow me to clarify that, I'm not trying to like put shame on myself or anyone else because we're humans. Uh, one of the encouraging passages of scripture is that God knows we are but dust. So there's this acknowledgement of our humanity. Uh, and yet at the same time, I, I do think there are these indicators of restlessness. And, and so the call for me coming out of that, I hope at all areas of life, and my encouragement to you all here today is ultimately to trust God. And this is at the core of what the Sabbath was about for the people of God, for Israel. The Sabbath was one of the Ten Commandments that God gave to his people. It was something that was to define them from sundown on Friday night until sundown on Saturday night. Uh, the day was to be spent at rest and it was, it was to be focused on, uh, the truth of God and it was to be focused on gratitude. That was a very central element. Thankfulness to God for all he had given. It was to be focused on celebrating the good things that God had given and this intentional time was a blessing. It was a blessing and, and we see that God blessed the Sabbath and he blessed his people when they maintained the Sabbath. Uh, we find a little more clarity in the background behind the Sabbath when God says specifically that it is to be a reminder that you were slaves, that you were those who were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And so it's this reminder of your condition, which was that of slaves, and God's provision of delivering you from that 
condition and his power and ability. And therefore the Lord God has commanded you to observe the the Sabbath day. There is a way in which the kingdom of God is different from the kingdoms of this world. Egypt was a kingdom of this world and Pharaoh was a king of this world. And what that means is the empire never stopped moving. There was no rest. There was a constant desire for more. There was a constant desire uh, to grow and to dominate. And that is what the Israelites experienced in not having any time of rest. And so now they have been delivered from that economy and empire and they are to be different. They are to represent the kingdom of God by both resting themselves and allowing those who worked for them, those who were around them to rest. And this is where God's intent for the Sabbath or Shabbat was to be a time of delight. And the rabbis write of this, that they describe this time of gathering with family and friends and lighting a candle and reciting scriptures and praying and celebrating and feasting as a time of delight. And yet what we find is that in the first century context in which Jesus is living and ministering, that is not fully reflective of what it has become. And we are going to see this throughout John's gospel, as well as throughout the other uh, gospel accounts. The Sabbath is very much at the heart of what Jesus is dealing with and the way in which it is being observed uh, is, is less than a delight. And John is going to take uh, the, the background to the Sabbath in Jeremiah 17, where the actual unfolding of the Sabbath is found. And he's going to place that text, Jeremiah 17, up against a current situation that kind of reflected the Sabbath. And he's going to show us how Jesus comes to fulfill the Sabbath. And to go ahead and get ahead of myself, the way that Jesus is going to call for experiencing the delight of the Sabbath is through surrender. Our mission statement here at Fairview Church is reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. And I believe that our text will support that call to surrender this morning. The first thing I want us to notice is the sheep. The gate where this text in John chapter 5 focuses on in the temple is the sheep gate. And at the sheep gate, we find a pool with five colonnades. And it's not been that long that this pool was discovered and the five colonnades uh, near the sheep gate. And the context for our passage is that there are certain people who are gathered at the gate. Who are these people? What kind of people are at the sheep gate? Well, they are those who are disabled. And there are these types of disabilities of blindness, lame and and paralyzed. And this is the group of people who are located near the sheep gates. To give us some connection with Jeremiah 17, we find in verse 19, this is what the Lord said to me, go and stand at the people's gate through which the kings of Judah enter and leave as well as all the gates of Jerusalem. Now, which gate is the people's gate? 
trick question. <laughs> there is none. <laughs> uh, this is the only time that we have the people's gate. Uh, and yet what we know is it was, in fact, the sheep's gate at the northeast corner because of uh, what we continue to see. Uh, but what is particularly relevant, the sheep are described in Jeremiah as the people. And this is something we see throughout the Old Testament. How are the Israelites, the people of God, described? They are sheep and they follow God is their shepherd. And so the people are the sheep. And what is the condition of the flock? Well, this is something that is going to tie as well. They are the, the specific language for the disability is in, in our context being dry. Now this doesn't make any sense medically or currently at any level. This is not a sensitive or thoughtful way to refer to anyone uh, in our context. And yet from an ancient world, this same word in the Hebrew for dry was used to describe someone who was disabled. And it was also tied with a reflection of, of the curses of those who break the covenant of God. So Jeremiah seventeen five. this is what the Lord said. Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. He makes human flesh his strength and his heart turns from the Lord. So, so the, the curse is on those who trust in who? Humanity, right? Mankind, ultimately. And his heart turns from the Lord. He will be like a juniper in the Arabah. He cannot see when good comes, but dwells in the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land where no one lives. What is that kind of land? A parched wilderness, a salt land. What kind of land is that? It's a dry land. It's the wilderness. And so there is very much a literary connection between these people who are dry in this way and the wilderness, which is a dry context. In verse 13, he tells us that the reason for this is they have abandoned the Lord, the what? The fountain of living water. So the water source is God. Has God abandoned his people? No. They have abandoned him. They have abandoned the source of water and life and therefore are in this condition of dryness. Now, the connections are going to continue with one man. We zero in. The camera moves from a broad shot to a very close shot of one individual who has been paralyzed for how many years? 38 Years. Now, this is true in the sense of this individual, but there is also a reflection that is tied with the Israelites broadly in the Old Testament. So Deuteronomy 2.14 tells us the time we spent traveling from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the Zered Valley was how long? 38 years until the entire generation of fighting men had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn them. After God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, they, and often when we think about the wandering in the wilderness, how long do we think of? 40 years, and that's technically true, but the actual wandering in the actual wilderness is 38 years. And there is, in this context, uh, 
a, a way in which they are kept from entering what? The promised land. And the promised land is referred to both from a water of life standpoint as well as rest. The rest that is provided in the land. And so if they cannot enter this rest and this provision of the water in the land, uh, we are now jumping back to these people who are at the sheep gate and they cannot enter what? What particular building? The temple. Why? Because of these disabilities. They are ceremonially unclean and they are not, just as the people of God for this time could not enter into this rest and the provision and the presence of God, they are unable to enter in. And in place of that, there is a pool. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this pool. But at the core, I could spend a long time on this and I won't. Uh, they are left to a kind of superstition. Their only hope is this superstitious belief that these waters, has anyone been to a hot springs anywhere? Kind of like a, a, the idea is it's for well-being and for healing. There's more to it than that, but the concept would be that the waters themselves would bring about this healing. uh, And so it is very much a superstitious trust, but it doesn't It's not functional, it's not working, and in fact, it is reflective of a condition of the people. The fact that that is taking place right by the temple um, is is seen as problematic. Uh, Secondly, though, not only do we see the the sheep and their condition, we see the shepherd. In verse 6, Jesus sees this man lying there and realized he had been there a long time and said to him, do you want to get well? So Jesus is the good shepherd and he sees a sheep that is not in good condition and how does he see him well the way that jesus always sees sheep who are in bondage and who are in poor conditions he has compassion he is concerned and he uh, consults with this man and this is meant to contrast, and, and I think this is important to say, when we see the Jews, that is not reflective of every person who is a Jew. Uh, there is, specifically in John's gospel, a focus on these Judean leaders, the leaders in the temple, the leaders in this area, and and there is a, a way in which they represent who it's kind of being picked on, uh, if you will, and and they are not good shepherds. They are not good shepherds of the sheep, and, and we're going to see that continue. Jesus, the good shepherd, says to the man, after he asks him if he wants to get well, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. What we are meant to see is a continuation of the theme that Jesus' words heal, Jesus' words accomplish what he wants. He's a king, and if you're a king and you say something, it gets done. 
And Jesus is the shepherd king whose words are powerful. Is this man and his faith responsible at any way for his healing? No. You know how we know that? He doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know. When they ask him, who healed you? I don't know, (laughs) right? He slipped away. So there is no way in which this man had an amount of faith in Jesus, and and that is what happened. Um, And what we are meant to see again is, is the authority of Jesus' words. Third, we're going to see the Sabbath. Now, this is a wonderful occasion. A man who's been disabled for 38 years can walk. How should everyone react? This is wonderful news. How do these leaders react? Well, that day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. That's a bummer. (laughs) That's wrong, wrong answer, right? And there is, John's gospel is, is connecting this with John, or with Jeremiah 17, which is where this law is found. This is what the Lord says. Watch yourselves. Do not pick up a load and bring it through Jerusalem's gates on the Sabbath day. Do not carry a load out of your houses on the Sabbath day or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy just as I commanded your ancestors. What is it that Jeremiah 17 is talking about? What are the people not to do on the Sabbath? Their work. To come through the gates of Jerusalem with your load would be the things that you were going to sell in the marketplace. This is talking about your job, the things that you do for income. And that's not supposed to happen on the Sabbath. However, the way that this the word load or burden, it may be in your text, is is, uh, interpreted by the rabbis is as bed or mat. And this is where the irony rests. What is a bed or a mat? The place where you rest. And yet it has become a... Burden. Do you see the inverse? They have taken the place of rest and made it into a burden. That's what's happening with the text. And this is a problem. And this is where Jesus is coming to truly address the way that the Sabbath has become a burden. That all of these extra laws has produced an environment That is not one of rest. It's not one of celebrating and delighting in God and his goodness. It is instead a place where powerful people utilize the text to control others. Has that ever happened? Jesus says in Mark 2, 27, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This is something that God desired to be a blessing for his people. And it was something that was intended to be for their good. And, and by the way, it's worked out for Chick-fil-A. Just, <laughs> There's a way in which this is reflective of God's 
fatherly love and provision. And yet, again, we see in their reaction, in these Jewish leaders' reaction to this man's healing, their own hearts. The fact that they are upset and angered reveals the truth of who they are inside. After this, Jesus found this man in the temple. Let me stop there. Where had he been unable to go for 38 years? The temple. Where is he? He's in the temple. Jesus has led those wandering in the wilderness, this place of dryness, into the temple. Do you know what Jesus' name actually is? It's Joshua. <laughs> it's Yeshua, but it's, it's Joshua. And who led the Israelites into the presence of God, into the promised land, after 38 years? Joshua did. Jesus is the new Joshua, and he has come to bring about this full entrance into the Sabbath rest in the presence of God. He has made this man clean, and yet we are going to continue to see the inward condition. And this is something, again, that the text is going to lead us to, the inward condition rather than simply the outward The man went in verse 15 and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now, this is where there's elements to this text that are tricky. But scholars, this text and what we're going to find in John 9 here in a few weeks are very, very, very similar. And so when we have those kind of things, we pay attention to what's different. And what is different is the reaction at the end. And what I believe in my study is that we are meant to see this man as ultimately abandoning his loyalty to Jesus for these Jewish leaders uh, that have kind of held him in this place of oppression. That he kind of sells Jesus out. And, and the truth we need to know is snitches get... No, wait, that's not it. The, the, what we need to see is, I'm sorry, uh, and, and, and I do believe, I really do believe that, that, that we are meant to see that the words of Jesus to change his way of life, to live a certain way, are not followed because we see that he began, he gets up out of his mat, and he begins to what? To walk, and that word walk is used through John's gospel of a way of living, and it's gonna be very much tied to discipleship. Following the way of Jesus. Early followers of Jesus were called believers of the creed, right? No, what were they called? Followers of the way. There was a way of Jesus that instructed them. And there is a way in which we're going to see between John 5 and John 9, discipleship. But the core, and and this is where I want to bring this back together, is, is I believe that Jesus is revealing that the way of Sabbath is the way of surrender. And what does it mean to surrender? It is, it is giving up. So we are born knowing how to grab. You have a, a little baby and you put your finger in front of their face. What do they do? They will grab your, your finger 
and we are born knowing how to grab, we have to learn how to let go. And we grab at all kinds of levels. And this man was, if you'll allow me, in a position of grasping at a a false source of healing. First of all, he was incapable of healing himself. That was clear. 38 years was the time of, of a man's life in this context. He also was a, in a context of superstition, of taking something natural and assigning supernatural potential to it. And it's just, it's flesh. It's just the extenuation. It, so he, he couldn't do it himself. But this trusting in the pools and all that that involved was once again trusting. It, it's, it was grasping at some level. It was it was reaching for something, but it, but it couldn't heal. And this is where Jesus asked the man a question. What does he ask him? Do you want to get well? Have you ever tried to help someone who doesn't want to be helped? How does that go? Not well, right? And this is very much, t- there is a way in which wanting to get well and, and an actual willingness to commit to the way of wellness, there's a surrender holistically that is involved there. And this, I think for us today, I want to apply it for me as, as I was considering the last few weeks, I realized that the unrest that, that I was experiencing and not that I've got, I continue to experience at some level is grasping. So I feel this unrest. Why? Because I want a certain future and I want to control certain outcomes and I want things to go a certain way for my family and for this church and, and I want to be able to, to perform at a certain level so that you all think well of me. And there's all of these layers that I could unpack that are grasping. I am, I am trying to, in those moments, control things and move things in a certain way, and it's up to me somehow emotionally, right? And as long as I do that, I will live in all kinds of addictions and problems and uh, false attempts at security and all of these things. So, so what I believe there is a, a way in which the call of Jesus is the call to surrender. He says to this man, take up your mat and walk. He's going to say to his disciples, take up your cross and follow me. The inverse, a place of rest versus a place of torture and death. And yet this is the call. Take up, take up your cross. Die to yourself. Die to your control of the world. Die to manipulating outcomes in a certain way. Die to trying to earn heaven and earn forgiveness. Die to everything that involves you and your control of the world. And follow me. Surrender completely. Trust me. I can't. God can. Would you say that with me? I can't. God can. How does that feel? 
How, how often does Jesus say to take up your cross? As often as you lay down on your mat. <laughs> because every time you get up off your mat, make sure I said that the right way, you take up your cross. And it is, it is in that that we experience rest. That's, that's the Sabbath. Is, is we rest, first off, in Jesus. Because Jesus, on the cross, paid for our sins, provided us with forgiveness. We can never provide. So as long as you're trying to do that on your own, you are a man paralyzed by a pool in Bethesda. Right? You're stagnant. You're not going to get anywhere. And so you have to try, you have to release that completely. I can't earn heaven. I can't earn God's forgiveness. I, I trust in Jesus to do that for me. Right? That's massive. Jesus bears the burden of our sins upon himself on the cross. So that in believing in him and trusting him, we can be set free from that burden and the shame and the guilt that accompanies it. But this is a continual process of surrender. And the way of Jesus, and, and I have talked about this, but I believe moving forward as a church, this is something that's so essential. There is a way. There's a way of following Jesus. The teachings of if Jesus is a king and he represents his authority, we don't actually pay much attention to his teachings. Right? And I think that's a problem. I really do. But at the core of that is Jesus telling us to live a life of surrendering to God, right? This is what it means to live in the kingdom. It's a constant surrender, a constant acknowledgement of I can't, and a constant surrender to God and his power to provide what I can't. And this is very much the way of Jesus, and it's the way of living with a rest, because I, the test could have gone differently. The outcome could have been, I, there's all kind, and, and it does for other people. I don't know. Why does it go this way for me and not for other people? And all, I don't have answers to any of these questions, but, but it could go differently. And so if my rest was tied up in that test going a certain way, I'd be in trouble, right? And so that's this, it's this ongoing process of surrender. Surrender completely to God. And follow Jesus, obey Jesus. Maybe you're here today, you've never actually done that. You've never actually surrendered your life completely to God. I surrender my will, I surrender my way of working things out, I surrender my relationships, I surrender my money, I surrender, I surrender my life. I give it up to you. And I'm going to obey and follow Jesus as my king. If you've never done that, I would invite you to do that today. To surrender everything and to trust in him. For many of us, myself included, I want to encourage us to a re-surrender. Because I have surrendered my will. (laughs) And I have surrendered outcomes in the past. And guess what? I take them back. I don't know if you do that. I do. I give you this God. Oh wait, not if it's going to go there. And I need to return to that. I can't. You can't. I surrender it. I surrender outcomes. I surrender all of this. I just want to invite us into that moment. I'm going to be in the prayer room. Denise will be in the prayer room. If you have prayer 
you want to talk about anything or just need prayer for anything, we'd invite you to do that as we, as we sing together. But I want to just invite us into that, that calling of surrender. Father, we thank you that you know we are but dust. You acknowledge our humanities. You acknowledge the things that we can't do, and yet so often we don't acknowledge that. Forgive us where we put ourselves in your place, where we, the sheep, try to be the shepherd, take on a job that we can't handle. So God, help us to be honest, to acknowledge what we can't do, the things that we can't change. But then to hear the words of Jesus, to get up and walk. God, would you give us the courage to change what we can, to do what you've called us to do, to walk in the way of freedom. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. 